0: Well, we're back in First Peter, so if you brought a Bible with you to church today, I invite you to point to First Peter. It is my honor and privilege uh, to walk us through the first uh, four verses of chapter 5 in First Peter. We're going to get back into our series entitled Elect Exiles, chapter 5 this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you to church today, there's a black one in the pew ahead of you. You're welcome to turn and use that one. We'll be on page 1016 of the pew Bible. We're going to be working on verses 1 through 4 today. Uh, it should be 45 minutes of unpacking those verses, uh, and then I'll pray and uh, we'll dismiss. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will appear, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Would you pray with me, Father in heaven? I need your help. Lord, I am not the savior, I am not the solution. Help me to show these people, yours, whom you died for, who is. Give us ears that we might hear your word, eyes that we might see Jesus. Give us hearts, tentative, ready to receive. Teach us, Holy One. I thank you, Lord, that I don't have to wonder what you're like. I don't have to wonder what you think. For you have spoken to us through your Son in his word. Let us see those words this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, last week, as you may have heard, was our missions week, it was the first time we took a week and we sought the Lord about our role in global missions, and I ask you to be praying about whether or not you God was calling you to be a goer to the nations, somebody who would sell all and go to the nations, or whether you would be someone who would give sacrificially to be a sender of those who do. And the big idea is, as a Christian, those whom God has saved you, You don't have an option to not be in this game. This is, uh, there's no bench sitters in this game. You're either assisting someone taking the shot or you're taking the shot yourself, okay? So you're either sending someone to the nations or you're going to the nations yourself. Everyone is involved in this. And world missions is important because it is the working out of God's global mission, which I explained last week and will explain very briefly now. The grand meta-narrative of the Bible, actually of the whole universe, is that God became a man. He put on flesh. He lived in this, uh, on this, er- this earth without sin. He died a sinner's death in our place, and he was resurrected from the dead. This was to save undeserving sinners from hell, like you and I, to bring them to God. We call this grace, God grants salvation to unworthy men and women. That's you and I, not on the basis of anything we have done or anything that we will ever do, but on the basis that he is good and he is merciful. So to that end, God works to the praise of his glory, and in so doing, he uh, takes the praise that belongs to him, just as Brent explained a few moments ago. It's not just about good works. It's not just about going and, and reaching the nations. It's doing so for the glory of his name. Before the Lord Jesus ascended back to the Father, he gave a command to his followers to go into all the world to tell everyone about this message of grace. And in so doing, those people would become disciples of Jesus. They would teach them, and they would then in turn tell others and teach them how to be disciples, and, and so on and so forth, until, until the Lord returns. And this is the mission of the church, and this is all existing for the glory of God. What I'm talking about today, back in 1 Peter, has everything to do with God's global mission. How is it that God's people are equipped to carry this message of grace across countries and across cultures and across cubicles and across cul-de-sacs? How are we to carry the message of God's grace? How are we equipped to do this work? What is God doing to prepare you and I for this work? Because we know... From First Peter and just from experience in life, it's not an easy task. It's not an easy ask. It is filled with pain and suffering and persecution and marginalization and discrimination and even worse. But even this, we've learned in First Peter, is to redound to the praise of the glory of His grace. So what are God's methods of equipping us through what means is he doing so to accomplish his mission? Part of the answer to that question appears here in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. The apostle gives us uh, here men he speaks to called shepherds. Shepherds. So the answer to the question is how are we being equipped to go to the nations to the glory of God? And the answer is shepherds. Now that is... About as godlike an answer as you can find. Because essentially, what you're doing is you're gathering together what is effectively an army of people to go and sell all and to organize and to go to the nations and to give their lives for the proclamation of the gospel. No man comes up with the answer to what they need as a shepherd. Men come up with answers like what you need is like a war worn four star general who knows how to organize people. Men come up with answers like you need a CEO. Somebody with an MBA in business who can gather people together and d- identify leaders and put up structures in place for people to go. But that's not what God says. God says what you need are sheep herders. People who know the Bible who can lead people and teach them scripture, shepherds. So I want to take a minute before we dig into the passage and hopefully explain this metaphor of sheep and shepherds, because it's all over the Bible that God's people, that's you and I, we are called sheep throughout the scriptures. And God himself, Jesus himself, as well as elders are called shepherds. So we're called sheep, and if I'm honest, it's a rather unflattering metaphor. Sheep are, I mean, he could have used other things, could have chosen tiger or lion or panther or a bear or something cool, but instead, God chose sheep. When my children play animal games, they generally take on the form of some four-legged creature that kills things with its face, that has claws and has teeth and is mighty and can roar. Ethan's generally a dinosaur or whatever thing brings the most destruction in that moment. It's never a sheep. And it's strange, too, because when you look at the, like the NFL, when they na- there's all kinds of NFL teams named after animals. There are, for example, uh, jaguars and bears and Bengal tigers, even eagles, not sheep. The closest we get is a ram, but there is no Cleveland sheep, although at times they probably deserve that title. They don't. Cleveland sheep it doesn't inspire fear in the opponents. Sheep are not scary creatures. We tell our children to count them as they go to sleep. It's unlikely that sheep will ever make Animal Planet's top 10 most deadliest creatures. No one's afraid of sheep. You ever hear of someone dying from a sheep attack? Exactly. Look, if you make it to glory after having died from a sheep attack, I don't know, your life went terribly wrong. Something happened. It just doesn't, doesn't take place. Sheep are defenseless, herd animals, made of warm sweaters and meat. They're just not killers. So why does the Bible so often call us sheep? Because that's insulting. And I think the reason is, it has to do with one word, and that is dependence. Sheep, as creatures, are dependent on shepherds. And that's probably why we don't like this metaphor, but it's probably why God loves it. What American do you know who aspires to dependency? You know, it's just not in our blood. We're like, I'm going to do it myself. But God knows that spiritually speaking, doing it yourself is damning. And so the sheep shepherd metaphor is fitting because it reveals God as our leader, as our lover, as our provider, as our protector, as we are dependent on him. It shows our need for God and him as our shepherd. Still, I don't know of any sheep herders among us this morning, and so I want to tease this out just a little bit more and take a minute and explain the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd in the first century because uh, undoubtedly Peter's audience would have understood it. But we're in the 21st century, and we don't herd sheep. At least I don't think you do on your day-to-day job. I don't think you're a sheep herder. So let me maybe help you understand what this metaphor means. So I did some research. Sheep are not stupid I was surprised to learn this. Sheep are not actually stupid animals. They have that reputation, uh, probably because they are defenseless creatures and they are easily frightened. When they are frightened, they generally group together in danger. They are a grazing animal, not terribly good with a sense of direction. They are a hardwired herd animal, which which are very good at following. So, if there's a leader and that leader sh- leads, it sometimes f- goes off a cliff, and the others will just follow it right off the cliff. Sheep are great at hearing. They have pretty good eyesight, but they have very bad depth perception. And it's probably for this reason that while they're grazing, some sheep are known to wander off because they can't tell how far away they are from the flock until they're lost. All of these reasons um, indicate that sheep need a shepherd. In the first century, Shepherding was uh, an unglamorous, dirty, and full-time job. It required being with the sheep constantly. It meant leading sheep to still waters because moving waters frightened them. Uh, It meant leading them to good pasture. It meant going after the sheep as they get lost and recovering them. Shepherds helped the ewes to give birth to lambs, and they would help to look after the young. A shepherd needed to know his sheep. Often shepherds would call them by their name. Each sheep would have its own name, and they would call them by name. The first century shepherd would speak to his sheep, and the sheep knew his voice. Being a shepherd also meant being um, somewhat brave. I mean, you're out there by yourself with sheep, and you had to protect the sheep from predators. There's stories that we read in the scriptures of King David when he was a young boy, a young shepherd, and he would have to ward off bears and lions. The Lord calls himself the shepherd of his people. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous example. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus was fond of taking this label on himself as well. Jesus is the good shepherd. He feeds us. He comforts us. He leads us to good pasture. He seeks after those who stray from the flock. He helps us to mature. Jesus protects us from walking into danger. He protects us from predators and he protects us from what the Bible calls wolves. So how does he do this? He's not even here. He's in heaven. So how does Jesus, the good shepherd, do this, act as a shepherd for his flock, for his people, you and I? That is what 1 Peter 5 is all about, the first part of it anyway. What happens here in the first few verses of 1 Peter 5 is Peter narrows his focus. He's been writing uh, four chapters uh, directly to these elect exiles, these Christians spread throughout Asia Minor in these churches, and he's writing to the congregations, but now he narrows his focus and he begins to write to men whom he calls elders. So we'll take a look. Verse one. So or therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. A few observations about this verse. First, he says elders, so it's plural. It's plural. There's a plurality of elders. Within the churches spread throughout Asia Minor, there were elders. They were already established, and Peter just assumes they are elders. Now, you should know, in the New Testament, the term elder, pastor, shepherd, bishop, overseer, it all refers to the same person. It's used interchangeably, these words, in places like Acts 20, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, and here. The word elder refers to their maturity, overseer and bishop, the responsibility to lead the people, pastor and shepherd, the responsibility to feed the people. And Peter is addressing pastors. He's addressing elders. It's the same person, men that God has chosen to lead his church. Another observation. These men are among the people. So I exhort the elders among you. Pastors are not men who stand aloof in their lofty academic towers. And they're not broadcast over a video screen. They are among the people. A fellow may watch his favorite preacher's sermons online every single week, but that doesn't make that man his pastor. Pastors are among the people. Next, Peter calls himself a fellow elder, and he gives exhortation to other elders. As a fellow elder, I speak to you elders. There's a couple of things about that that are very interesting to me. The first, is speaks of the humility of the apostle Peter. Peter was an apostle with a capital A. He was, a handful, he was one of a handful of men that God used to see the witnesses of the sufferings of Christ and write the New Testament to start the church. And he's, he calls himself a fellow elder, which tells me he views his role as an apostle in a very pastoral way, shows me the value he puts on the pastoral role within the church. Additionally, it shows me that elders are both in authority, but they're also under authority. One elder exhorting another elder. Every pastor in a Bible-believing church is required to submit himself to the authority of others. Brent and I, the elders of this church, are under the authority of other elders. This keeps us accountable. It keeps the church from being led astray. And this brings me to my final observation in verse 1, which is that Peter mentions himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of his glory. It seems a very curious thing, doesn't it? Why, Why does his mind go there? What is him as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, what does that have anything whatsoever to do with his, his exhortation to the elders? I exhort you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. When I saw this on Thursday morning, it broke me a little bit. And uh, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've cried enough that morning and with my wife later that I think I can get through this next part without losing it this morning. We'll see how it goes. I think what Peter is, is, is saying by mentioning the sufferings of Christ as being a witness of the sufferings of Christ, being connected to eldership is because I think he means to remind, I think in his mind he's remembering what Jesus endured to make the church I think I think Peter is thinking of what Jesus went through the blood he shed for his people and the, the shame he endured, the mocking he endured, the torture he endured on the cross to purchase the church. And I think what Peter is saying here is, I saw the blood that he shed for his people. I watched the agony he endured to save them. This is his bride. So you pastors, you elders, he has put their well-being, the ones he bled for, in your hands. Don't you mistreat them or abuse them or misuse them or prostitute them for your insecurities or to use this platform to build your ministry. He bled for them. I think he's reminding them of the cost of the church. The call to pastoral ministry is a sobering one. And it's a serious one. It's a good reason why Charles Spurgeon told his students, if you can be anything else, be that. And I think if more pastors understood the seriousness of the call to the ministry, there would either be far less pastors or there would be far better ones. Verse 2. Here's what pastors do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. He says, shepherd the flock of God. They're not my people. They are God's people. It's, 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 it's the only imperative command in this whole passage to shepherd God's people, those that Jesus bled for. The way Jesus uh, leads his people to still waters and green pastures and safe mountain faces, the way he protects us and provides for us are through his under shepherds, through his elders, his pastors. Peter calls Jesus The chief shepherd, in verse 4, which means that pastors are under shepherds. This is his flock, and they're to take care of and tend his flock. So the call to eldership is a call to tend, shepherd, the flock of God. Eldership, pastoral work, is shepherding work, which means pastors are not CEOs. This is not a business. I am not a professional. I am a shepherd. I am an unremarkable, ordinary, plain sheep herder doing undignified, dirty work of just regular Christian life. We shepherd sheep. Elders feed and lead God's people. And the way they do this, primarily is through teaching and preaching of God's word. So once or twice every week, God's people gather together to hear God's word being taught by God's elders. And this is their spiritual food. Scripture says that man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the primary role of elders is to be able to teach God's Word, which means that if you're going to have a qualified elder, he has to be one who can rightly handle the gospel. He can rightly handle God's Word. He has to have the ability to take the, the complicated issues of everyday life and bring the gospel to bear to that issue. So he needs to know the Bible. And he needs to be able to teach. Elders are also called to exercise oversight. Which means leading and protecting. Shepherds are required to protect the sheep from danger, from being led into the wrong direction, where there's dangerous cliffs or poisonous plants that they might eat, or um, protect them from predators, from wolves. Listen closely. How the Apostle Paul speaks to the elders in Acts chapter 20. This is what he tells pastors. He says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Sound familiar? Oh, how often preachers like me need to be reminded of the cost of God's people to be where they are. He shed his blood for these people. Shameful, the way God's people are often treated by men like me. Paul goes on. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. So the role of the elder is to shepherd the flock and shoot the wolves. That's what is Brent... And my responsibility to pay careful attention to you all. We have to be among you. Jesus bled for you. And the enemy is out to get you. Wolves are metaphors for false teachers. They are men and women who lead people into heresy and spiritual destruction. And part of our role is to identify false teaching and to deal with the false teachers. Sometimes from among us, sometimes from among the church. So you'll forgive us when revivalists blow into town and we are cautious. Jesus says, Wolves sometimes look like sheep. So when you are praying for Brent and myself, and I hope that you are, pray that the Lord would give us a supernatural dose of discernment. It's hard to tell. and So we take this responsibility very seriously. I will not sit back and let God's people be ravaged by some wolf and do nothing. because there's going to come a day when Brent and I are going to have to stand before the Lord and to give an account for the spiritual well-being for those entrusted to our care. By the way, those he died for. So this means, dear friends, there may be times where Brent and I Ask you questions about what you're reading and who you're listening to. I think most of you know not everything that carries the name of Christ is Christian. And most assuredly, not everything on Christian TV bears any resemblance whatsoever to the Lord Christ. And so, we're careful. There's one gospel and many false ones. If you aren't sure, please ask. Peter goes on. Pastors ought to be willing and eager. He says, shepherd the flock, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The only compulsion to ministry is the one that comes from the Lord. There should be no man in eldership that does not want to be in eldership. There should be no... Like, well, someone's got to do it, so I guess I'll do it kind of eldership going on in the church. Elsewhere, the Bible says the elders are held to a higher standard, a stricter judgment. is how James says it. So they must be willing to serve. They must also be eager to serve. Pastors must not be men who are after shameful gain. One of the qualifications of a pastor is that he cannot be a lover of money. He cannot be money motivated. A man who embezzles the funds of God's people is repulsive. That man is a wolf. But I think Peter means more than just money because he's pretty ambiguous with uh, shameful gain. I think Peter is referring to various sorts of shameful gain. Maybe he's referring to men who might use the preaching platform as a springboard for their reputation. Or just really to put anything, even good things, before their motivation for soul care and the protection of God's people. So a man must be willing and he must be eager To shepherd the flock of God. And I I promise you, without eagerness and without willingness, this job is just not possible. It isn't. The amount of hours, the, the the emotional drain, the price your family has to pay, the attacks from the enemy, the relentless return of the Sabbath. You know, a preaching pastor has to prepare a 10-page research paper and a one-hour lecture every week. And that, on top of personal Bible study, his own prayer life, leading his family, visiting folks in the hospital, counseling appointments, Meetings with other pastors, meetings with missionaries, banquets, and family time. But can I just tell you, Cornerstone, what an absolute delight it is every morning that I get to get up and serve you as well as I can and give you my life and bleed for you because Christ bled for you. When I get to see you throughout the week, when I get to meet you for lunch, when I get to pray with you in a hospital room, when I get to hear you on the phone, I promise my heart is filled with joy. I love you dearly. I love serving you as your pastor. I hope, God willing, I get to do it for 30 more years. I know Brent does too. Then he says, in the next verse, "You do this, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock." The elder pastor is not to lord over others; he's not to lord himself over them and domineer over them. First Peter chapter, or First Timothy chapter three, Titus chapter three, says that the elder should be gentle. So if this is your church, God has placed you under our charge. And our pastoring of you ought to be gentle. Firm, to be sure, but gentle. Never domineering. We should never have to say, well, we're the elders, just deal with it. That is not how Jesus led The prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34 rebuked elders in his day for ruling by force and with harshness. A harsh, nomineering leader of the church is no leader at all. That man is an insecure coward and unfit to be a pastor. Instead, Peter says, elders are to be examples. And this is probably the most sobering description yet. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Elders are to live as examples of Christ-likeness before God's people. Which again, is only possible in the context of the local church. Sitting on your couch in your pajamas watching church is not church. Church. In order for verse three to work, the church ought to have access to her pastors, and elders ought to have access to her. This way we do life together. This we we, we do ministry together. Pastors ought to be among their people, to be exemplary husbands, exemplary fathers. He ought to be an example in the way that he treats everyone and the way he manages his finances and the way he prays and the way he speaks. He ought to be an example in the way he handles pain and suffering and frustration. Loss. He should be an example in the way he deals with the poor and the underprivileged. his worldview ought to be exemplary for his people. The way he evangelizes in his commitment to mission, a sheep follow leaders and God calls pastors to lead and this by example. Now I am in no way perfect. And I don't think Brent is either. And there are going to be times when I, I miss it, I lose it, I sin. And by God's grace, I hope to repent when I do. My motives are not always pure. I am not Jesus. Well, by God's grace, I will give my life to trying, by God's grace, to be as godly and selfless servant I, as I can be for those he died for but I'm going to mess it up. On Tuesday evening, I had a, a whole day off, rare, rare, rare occasion of a whole day off, and I was at home, and the kids were playing after after school, and they were just being loud, rambunctious as they normally are, which is fine with me. But then it just got a little out of hand, and I had to tell Lily to stop doing something she wasn't supposed to be doing. She wasn't listening to me. And I told her again, and she still didn't listen to me. And I lost it. And I don't raise my voice all that often, but that time I was like, listen to me! And her eyes got that big. And she wept and ran upstairs and crawled into her bed. And I knew at the moment it left my lips that it was sinful. It was out of a place of frustration. And I gave her a minute and I went upstairs and I knelt down beside her bed and, and I asked her to forgive me and I prayed with her. And we cuddled and we played and everything was right with her world. But there are going to be times when I may have to come near your proverbial bed and kneel next to you and ask you for forgiveness because I've sinned against you. I am not Jesus. But by God's grace, I hope to be as much like him as I can. Last verse, and we'll wrap with this. Here's what Peter says, faithful pastors get and when the chief shepherd appears you elders who are faithful to the end will receive unfading crown of glory so again jesus is the chief shepherd elders are under shepherds Peter extends the exhortation of reminding Christ um, reminding them that Christ is coming back and his reward is with him elders and pastors who remain faithful to the end who gave their lives for the sake of his church will be rewarded with an unfading crown of glory and friends this is the only appropriate motivation for ministry the pleasure of the father the glory of god and the good of his people all other motivations Are not worth it and probably sinful. And so here's my conclusion. The Lord Jesus entrusted his bride, the church, those he bled and died for, to faithful men, to protect her and to provide for her until he returns. And I think that makes eldership the most important office in the world. And so I want to end by saying this. I know some of you have been hurt by the church and by church leaders. Hypocrisy is deepest when the calling is the highest. And I have sat with some of you in my office and heard horrible heartbreaking stories. And if you have been hurt by church leaders, can I just say to you, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry. My fear, concern for you, is that you would react from that fear and be afraid of connecting to a church ever again made you distrustful of churches and preachers. I I get that. I do. But let me say this. The church and church leadership is God's ordained means and method through which you will be nurtured and comforted and protected and loved and supported and encouraged and strengthened to become like Christ, to participate in His mission, and be prepared to meet Him in glory. The church, I remind you, is His idea. There'll be pain. There'll be discouragement. There'll be disappointment. You'll be slighted. You'll be overlooked. But listen, that's part of it too. We got to learn to go through those things. Jesus gave us the church sometimes so that He can produce the fruit of long-suffering in us and patience in us. And sometimes He's going to use me to make you patient. And I'm sorry if I do that, but I'm not sorry if I do that. Just don't forget, the church is God's idea, and He gave us this body of believers and these leaders to equip you to see His mission accomplished until He comes back for you. So so don't turn from the church. You will not be who God created you to be without the local church. So if you don't have a church, get one. Look for a Bible-believing, gospel-saturated church and plug in. We'd love to be that for you, but we're not for everyone. We'll try to be that for anyone, but we might not be that for everyone. Point is, we need the church and we need church leaders. If you have any questions about what the church is and what pastors are, um, I just want to avail myself to you to answer any questions you might have. And Brent, I'm sure can help me with that as well. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, what a glorious God you are. The grace that you have given to us, these faithful men that you have risen up among us to lead us, shepherd us, pastor us, to protect us. And Lord, for those who've been entrusted to this job and office, I ask that you would grant to us mercy when we miss it, grace that we need every day and also discernment so that we know what's harmful and what's harmless. Help us to lead your people. Lord, forgive us when we miss it. And don't let us get to the last day, Lord Jesus, and stand before you, having lost something you bled for, having wounded someone you went to the cross for. Help us to see the seriousness of this. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand to your feet. What we like to do at the last part of our service, I want to reread the passage and give you the opportunity to just reflect on God's word. If there's something in here that has the Lord Holy Spirit has brought to your attention that you need to repent for, then to give you that opportunity to do so this morning. Um, And then I want you to be able to rejoice knowing that when you confess your sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We're going to sing another song, and during that song, just take a a few moments, you and the Lord, you don't have to confess anything to me, but you just confess it to the Lord. give you an opportunity to confess the sins in your heart. Put your faith in the Lord. The communion table is open. Okay, If you are a follower of Jesus and in good standing of your home church, you're welcome at the Lord's table. We're not going to do official communion, but you're welcome to help yourself to the Lord's table. Let me read and then um, we'll sing again. First Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory.